Please open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. For those joining us on the stream, Mark's Gospel is found in the New Testament, but we provided for you, if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, a link there entitled Bible Gateway, and you can put in the search engine of Bible Gateway, Mark, and then the number four, and you'll click that and you'll be right where we are. Mark chapter five, excuse me, Mark chapter five. And we are continuing not only in our series of Mark, but continuing in this chapter from Mark's gospel in a message I've entitled, Jairus's Daughter. This is God's word, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping, and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, 
Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all out, sighed, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these portrayals of your son, which Mark, inspired by the Spirit, has, has composed for us. Father, we pray that what Mark shows us about Jesus would not only clarify and even correct any incorrect or misconceived notions of Jesus of Nazareth, but Lord, you would even take us by the chin as a parent takes a young child gently and looks into our eyes, look into our eyes, Lord, and bring life and hope and meaning Lord, into those circumstances and situations that oftentimes feel hopeless and desperate for, for us. But I also pray, Lord, as well, that this, this passage and its impact on me and on us, Lord, would shape how we live our lives. That what is revealed here, Lord, would, would in some ways direct direct our lives as we seek to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we begin this morning, I, I want to ask you to consider two questions with me, two questions that I'll ask now and then I'll ask them again at the conclusion that I think drawn from the text, help us consider the perspective that Mark is presenting to us. The first question is this, what do these portrayals of Jesus communicate about him? Simply stated, what is God through the scripture revealing to you and to us about his son. And the second question I want you to have in mind as you consider that is simply this. What effect is Mark's portrayal of Jesus to have on my life? What does his portrayal mean for me and for us as we live our lives? 
chapter 5, Mark presents two dramatic stories of three individuals that are facing what appear to be hopeless situations. And Jesus, in ministering to both of them, brings hope and grace to their circumstances. And so that's my main point this morning as we consider these portrayals together, is that Jesus is the savior of desperate people and hopeless causes when people turn to him, when all of their efforts to save themselves have failed. He is the savior of desperate people. He is the savior when people face hopeless causes. And he is that when we turn to him and give up our efforts to, to save ourselves. So as you're considering that, I want to do something Dan did, which will be brief, like Dan was, and amazing, but I think it's worth at least noting, because it stands out as we read this passage. So if it sounds a little wonkish, that's why I'll be brief, but I hope it serves you as you're reading this, because I think it's there, and it informed how I looked at the text. When Dan spoke out of Mark 3, he mentioned to us that Mark often employs a device when he is organizing these true portrayals of Jesus, these testimonies of what Jesus did, these stories, and he used the word sandwich. Do you remember that? Sometimes when we use food illustrations, we go, oh, yeah, I, just, I remember that. That was a great sermon. Dan was talking about sandwiches. And he called it a Markin sandwich. Well, this is the third time, according to many commentators, that Mark does this. And by a sandwich, we simply mean this. Jesus begins a story, or Mark begins a story about Jesus, and then in the middle of that story, he interrupts it. He inserts another story with the meaning of that story explained. And then he finishes the first story, this case Jairus and his daughter, but the meaning, the take home, the point was found in the middle story. And you say, why does he do that? because Mark wants us not to miss the point of both stories. And the point of both stories is this. If Jesus is the savior of desperate people and hopeless causes, verse 34, your faith will make you well when you turn to him. That's the point in the passage. That's the pivot of the two stories, Jairus' daughter and the woman with, who's chronically bleeding. And we'll look at that. That's a Markin sandwich too. We're done with that. Let's meet Jairus, shall we? 
Scene number one, verses 21 to 24. It says Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side. If you've been following along last week, Jesus was in the land of the Jesserines, where the demoniac was. It's a, it's a Gentile territory. And now he has returned back to where he came via the boat that took him there to the region of Galilee. Scholars suggest it's, it's the town of Capernaum. And when he arrives, Mark tells us that a great crowd, verse 21, is there waiting for him. And in the midst of this mob scene, if you will, Jairus, verse 22, one of the rulers of the synagogue, falls at his feet. Do you see that? So he's not just one of the crowd. Mark tells us he's a distinguished leader in the synagogue there. We're provided his name, that's significant, because the woman with the chronic issue of blood remains nameless. Leaders in synagogues were often individuals of means and apparently would often have a large household, so he's a pillar in the community. He approaches Jesus respectfully, but what does he do? Verse 22, he falls down at his feet. We saw another man fall down at Jesus' feet, didn't we, last week, 16 verses earlier, who fell down at Jesus' feet when he came ashore, a demonized, crazed, raving, barely clothed man, out of his mind. Here we have a dignified, respectable, reputable man, clearly composed, falling down again. But this is no ordinary day for Jairus. And today he is not a dignified man. Today he is a desperate man, as we just read. Because verse 23 says, he is begging Jesus. It's the same word in the original we see used in verse 10 and 12. When the spirits begged Jesus not to destroy them, but to cast them into, in this case, it's the same word that the herdsmen and the town people in the Gerasenes used. They begged Jesus to leave them because of their fear of who he was. This man begs Jesus to do something. He begs him to do something because it is a desperate plea from this dignified man for Jesus to come with him. He sit, Jairus tells him, my little daughter is at the point of death. And it says, verse 24, and Jesus went with him. Just pause for a moment so we can enter this into, enter into this, for many of this familiar story. Jesus didn't check his calendar. 
He didn't ask Jairus any questions <laughs> to, to measure his need or interrogate whether or not this was something he should do or not. It just says, verse 24, he went with him. I think it's because Jesus is the savior of desperate people and hopeless causes. And he discerned in this man's actions, falling down and pleading with him and the circumstances that he described. That Jairus was at an end of himself. All his efforts to heal his little girl had failed. And Jesus acts decisively. And that's what Jesus does today. He meets people not where we often ask him to meet. He meets people not often where we think he should meet because God is never beholden to our expectations or our demands. He meets people when we are so desperate there's no one else we can turn to. And then he meets us. That was true at the point of your conversion. It is also true as we grow in our followership of him, that he delights, he delights to reveal himself to desperate people with hopeless causes when they turn from all their efforts to save themselves, all your efforts to save yourselves, all my efforts to figure out the problem and save myself, and we turn to him and we say, Lord, we may not be literally bowed down, but our hearts are, have mercy on me. That's scene number one. Scene number two, we meet a woman who is chronically bleeding. This is the middle, if you will, part of the sandwich. The meat of the meal Mark is sharing with us in this passage. The march to Jairus' home is interrupted suddenly by a woman in the crowd, beginning in verse 25. But she's not just any woman, Mark tells us. She is a woman with a history. Ironically, she is nameless. She remains nameless in the passage. But the details Mark provides, it's almost as if he goes out of his way in this portion of the portrayal of Jesus to give us these details. More details than were given of Jairus or his daughter, which means these details must be not only important, but Matthew shares the same story and so does Luke in his gospel portrayal. So this portrayal of Jesus is loaded. One long sentence in the original according to one commentator, it says that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years, verses 25, 26, not a temporary malady, over a decade of suffering has this woman endured. And this sickness that she has goes beyond the physical, right? This sickness that she has, this discharge of blood would have kept her 
in a constant state of ritual uncleanness according to the books of Moses, particularly Leviticus. So she was unable to have human contact if the people she was having contact with were going to temple. She was unable to approach God in the sacrificial symbol of the temple because of her ritual uncleanness. So she's not simply sick, she's a social outcast. She's a religious outcast. She's estranged from her own community. And everything about the worship of God in her community, hear this, everything about the worship of God in her community told her she has no access to God. It says, secondly, verse 26, that she suffered greatly under the care of many doctors. I think we're to feel the, the force of that. I know nothing about treatments in the ancient world. Maybe History Channel has a program on treatments in the ancient world when it came to this type of... But I imagine that they range from the bizarre to the cruel. And so rather than receiving relief, when she goes to the doctor, she suffers more. Hmm. Hmm. And not only that, she spent all that she had. She was destitute. There's no cap for out-of-pocket expenses in Mark's day. It says she's no better. She's not helped at all. The doctors that served her, drained her, and provided no reason to turn and final stroke she grew worse. I think we may be even allowed to infer that she's close to death. But we learn one other thing about her, which brings me hope. Even today, she heard reports about Jesus. And what she heard sparked something. She heard reports about Jesus, verse 27, and what she heard sparked in this desperate woman to make her way to Jesus. Nothing was going to stop her. And then we're given her internal thoughts, verse 28, even as she makes her way, having heard about this man, this miracle worker who has now returned to her region, if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. She's not only desperate with a hopeless situation, she is convinced, so she braves the crowd, she risks exposure, she risks, as one writer said, punishment for touching others and making them unclean. She reaches out and grabs just the hem of Jesus' garment, the edge of his robe, in the midst of this mob scene, verse 29, and immediately... Mark says, there's that word again. Immediately, the bleeding stops. Imagine if for her in that moment, first the shock that she must have felt, and then imagine the exhilaration that must have welled up in her soul when she begins to realize her private curse 
has been lifted. My life now has a possibility. My future now has been secured. How? Through touching Jesus. Jesus says in verse 30, perceiving that power has gone out from him, wish I were there. I wish I were with the disciples. Who touched me? It's a bad illustration, but recently we were at a concert at Gillette Stadium. And after the concert, everyone has to use the restroom before you leave, and it's crowded even when you're using the restroom. And no one's saying, who touched me? Because you're practically on top of each other. Excuse the, I know that's a bad. Can you imagine the disciples when Jesus says that and stops? Who touched me? But what it reveals in Mark's portrayal about Jesus, what it reveals in Mark's portrayal about Christ is he's not simply this miracle machine displaying acts of power like bolts of lightning and like a cowboy from the western of the old just signaling to the authorities, I'm the man, I'm the bad man, and I am here to... Who touched me as he turns and looks to see this fearful woman coming to him? He calms her fears and says those precious words, daughter, not woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed. Jesus is a man who responds to those who come to him. Isn't that good news? It is. Jesus is a man who is a savior to people who are desperate and face hopeless causes. That's very good news. Jesus is a man who takes her faltering faith. She, she touches merely the hem of his garment. She, she, barely, she barely has a hold of him and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your life is different now. Run along. Go. Your relationship with God and others in this world is transformed. That's scene number two. Scene number three. The final piece in the meal of the Mark and Sandwich. All this time Jairus has been a spectator, but he's not watching these events admiringly, oh, wonderful, another healing. He's desperate. Come on, Jesus, my daughter is at death's door. For Jairus, this is not a beautiful interruption. This is a life-threatening intrusion. We know something he didn't. This interruption is not random. The author of history has orchestrated this moment he did so for the benefit of Jairus. He's doing this for us as well. But this woman's healing was not simply for her personal 
blessing, although it is that, it also prepares Jairus for what is about to occur. Her healing paves the way for what Jairus is about to encounter when Jesus meets a desperate man and a hopeless situation. The news arrives, verse 35, while Jesus is still speaking to the woman, the news arrives, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What a blow. This must have been. I mean, there was, there was at least hope while he was, she was still alive, that Jesus could come and pray and she'd be healed of her sickness. But, but here, now that she has passed, there is no return from death. And hope has died with her. His, his fears have now turned to despair. His dread has become a reality. You can hear the resignation in the words, why trouble the teacher anymore from the messenger? It's almost as if he's saying to Jairus, go home, comfort your wife, gather your family. You have funeral arrangements to make. But Jesus immediately ministers to Jairus, verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, Jairus, only believe. Don't go where you are want to go. Look at me, lock onto my eyes. Don't be afraid, believe. So they come to the house, and I'm summarizing the house of Jairus. Jesus sees the people weeping there loudly. He dismisses them, at which point they laugh at him. And he, Jesus, puts them all outside, only to take the, the child's father, Jairus, and the child's mother, and those who were with him, James, John Peter, to where the child was. He takes the little girl by the hand and he speaks those precious words. Talitas cum, little girl, literally little lamb, arise. So simple, so powerful. No dramatic action like some of the prophets of old where they would lay on a, a body and pray. Just a grasp of her hand, a word of command, immediately, verse 42, the girl stands up and walks. What? Authority. What? Inexhaustible power. What? Compassion. This is a savior of desperate people who face hopeless causes. So let's go back to our questions as I conclude. What is God wanting to tell us about his son? What does this portrait in Mark's gospel portray about Jesus? Two more miracles, two more amazing miracles. 
two more miracles that we are to think about and be amazed. But these miracles point to something else, don't they? These miracles reveal Jesus' identity as each miracle points to Jesus' authority over a particular enemy of people that the Savior has come to defeat. Disease, death, symbols of a fallen, sinful, broken world. Disease and death are, are, are the marks of a world, not as God made it. They are the marks of a world as sin has spoiled it. But now what is happening? Jesus is on the scene. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is serving notice to the kingdom of sin and death that their days are numbered. Amen? By confronting the outward evidences of its reign, he's serving notice that he is the divine warrior. He is the son of God, challenging and vanquishing the power of sin and death in their lives. But for our purposes as well, he wants us to know that in each of these encounters, he is the one who brings God's authority and God's mercy and God's presence when we are desperate and we face hopeless causes as his people. It's why this portion is in our Bibles that as we've already sung, he is worthy of our trust. Jesus is supremely worthy of our trust. Mark is not merely a writer here. Mark is preaching to us. He is preaching to us about Jesus Christ this morning because Jesus has all authority. And these events on an ordinary day in Galilee are arranged so that we might behold him wherever we are this morning, whatever we are facing. It doesn't fall outside the portrayal of who Jesus is revealed in the person of his son. So here's my challenge to me and here's my challenge to you. Bring your circumstances. Bring your life. Bring your greatest fears today. Bring your trials. Bring it up against this portrait of Christ. Whatever it is. And say to him today, it is not beyond you. You are the savior of desperate people and hopeless causes. And he receives those who come to him who are desperate. When all efforts to save themselves have failed, and he does so with joy. But these portraits are not the ultimate portrait as we know here at Crossway, because though this woman was healed, she would one day die. And though this daughter was raised gloriously, she one day passed away. 
But Jesus, because of his life and perfect death on the cross, his perfect life offered as a substitute in our place on the cross, because Christ has defeated death and sin and its judgment through his death on the cross and triumph resurrection, we know that he has met our greatest need of forgiveness and reconciliation in order to be brought into a relationship with him by faith. So he not only addresses our situation in desperate causes, he meets us with his sustaining grace in our greatest need, our salvation. Final quote, we end with this. Jim, this was the Kent Hughes quote I shared with you. What is Christ like who gives this life? He is all powerful and approachable in his holiness. He made the raging sea instantly lay flat with a word. He cast out a legion of evil spirits with another word. He healed the outcast woman without a word. He tenderly raised the little girl. He is understanding. He is lovingly gentle. He is inviting. If God is speaking to you, but you fear that your faith is too ignorant and selfish, do not be put off. He knows every heart. Ask him to give you faith and then reach out to him with your faltering touch. He will make you whole. He will heal your uncleanness. He will give you resurrection life. Will you do it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this portrayal of your son. And with each page we consider, we, we sense and feel your eagerness to reveal more of him to us. We ask that the effect of, of these two true stories, these testimonies of your mercy and love and grace would cause us to see you as the savior of desperate people in our hopeless situations and causes. And when, Lord, all of our efforts have failed to change it, we pray you would give us the faith that you gave to the woman Though faltering, Lord, that says to you desperately, if I just turn to Jesus, if I simply touch him by faith, I will be healed. What good news, Lord, we have then to share with those outside of these walls. What a portrayal we can depict of Jesus of Nazareth who came to be their savior, who came to meet them in their desperate circumstances, who came to minister to them in their hopeless causes, most ultimately, most importantly, most gloriously in their salvation from sin, their forgiveness and reconciliation through faith in him and their glorious, glorious new life. I pray, Lord, use us as messengers 
of that good news. Lord, may these be more than stories. May they help us to have a clearer portrait of Jesus based on what you've revealed in your word. And then through that portrait, Lord, may we turn afresh and wholeheartedly put our trust in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.